Uh, we'll be studying from the book of Galatians this morning. Uh, so you can turn to chapter 6. Uh, that's primarily where we will be. Again, welcome. Um, my name is Josh. I'm the pastor here at uh, Emmanuel English Church. Um, it's glad to see some old faces, some new faces uh, worshiping with us this morning. Now, our church mission statement <clears throat> is this. Can we, can we read it out together? Follow Jesus, be truly loved, be fully known. Uh, a few weeks ago, we began looking at how we can be truly loved, okay? How we can be truly loved by God because of just who God is, that He is three in one. And we also explored how God's love goes beyond human constructed models of love. Not that they're not good. It's just that God's love goes beyond that. And the God we trust is eternal and above all else. And then uh, last week, uh, we had a guest speaker, Reverend Bernard Wong, who led us to see how the gospel revealed to us through Jesus, the Son of God, has freed us not only from the bondage of sin, but also the imperatives of this world, what the world demands of us, including how we look at family relations. And if you stayed behind for the workshop in the afternoon, uh, Bernard brought us on a journey of a theological exploration from Genesis all the way to Revelation, discussing on the topic of relationship and intimacy. So God's love is not just good for us, but it's relevant for us. It guides us into the ways that we should interact and live with each other in our family. And today we're going to talk about the church. This is the final Sunday that the sermon will focus on how God's love is expressed in our community, specifically our church community. And then next week, we have Wayne, who's right here with us, uh, who will then share with us uh, from uh, uh, God's Word and introduce to us uh, this, uh, the new part of our, of our series of God's love. Um, right now, we're, we're looking at God's love in the community, and then next week onward, we'll be looking at God's love in solitude. To examine what it's like to discover and experience God's love when we're alone, away from the community. Here's the lineup of uh, speakers for the coming weeks. Uh, so we'll have Wayne uh, next week uh, sharing with us about observing days in honor of the Lord. And after that, we'll have our own very own Stephanie and Constance uh, sharing uh, parts of the Lord's Prayer with us uh, on Communion Sunday. And then after that, we have Pastor Eric Scott from the Bridge Church uh, sharing uh, of, with us that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And then Wayne will come again and then share with us about what it's like to have a rhythm of worship, a rhythm of worship. And then finally, in the last week of August, we'll have uh, Reverend Carver Yu um, to share with us about being silent and waiting for the Lord. Yeah. So come, come and uh, anticipate to learn something about what it means to experience and discover God's love even in solitude. Today, the title of uh, my sermon is simply that, Love 
restore, carry. Love, restore, carry. Hopefully that's not too much to remember. Hopefully that will be helpful for us as we recall what we're about to hear. Uh, we'll be studying from Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. And look at just two ways we are called to love each other in the church. First, we are called to restore each other. And second, we are called to bear one another's burdens. But before we get again, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we thank you that you are love and that your outpouring of love through your Son, and it's now understood through your Spirit, that we can receive this love, this free gift of love. And that, God, we pray this morning that you teach us to outpour this love from us to other people as we echo our love back to you. So help us to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's turn to the book of Galatians. Um, I usually have my slides in both English and Chinese. Uh, to help us really dwell in, this, in the Word of God. Uh, so we'll just read from verses 1 and 2. Shall we read it together? Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual shall restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The word of God. Now, this chapter of Galatians begins with Paul addressing the church. The term in Greek for brothers here is Adelphoi, which is a term used to refer to the whole church community. And it refers to men and women, brothers and sisters who are in Christ. And then he identified them to be under two, oh, sorry, under one of two conditions. Those who are caught in any transgression and those who are spiritual verse 1 there Paul instructs believers if anyone is caught in any transgression you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness so let's take some time to understand what Paul means by these two types of people Okay, let's first look at what Paul means by you who are spiritual. Now, the answer is close by. So if you have your Bibles open, uh, again, I will have a slide, but then we can flip to chapter 5, verse 25. It reads, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, in some of your translations, it might say, walk by the Spirit instead of keep in step with the Spirit, or walk in the Spirit. We see that for someone to be spiritual, this person depends or relies on the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, to have new life, therefore living by the Spirit. And this person is also called to keep in step with the Spirit. Now, just picture this. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, God the Father sends His Spirit to live in us. He dwells in each of us when we believe in Jesus. 
And it is this indwelling of the Spirit that guarantees our salvation. Guarantees our salvation. And furthermore, we, if we live by the Spirit, that means if we have the Spirit in us, we should also walk, literally walk, by the Spirit or walk in step with the Spirit. The Spirit who now lives in us will speak and guide us. As the Spirit moves, as He walks, we too move along or walk by the Spirit. That's what it means to be spiritual. It means for a Christian to first depend on the Spirit to have eternal life, and second, to follow the guidance of God's Spirit for our daily conduct. So what does it mean to be caught in transgression? Well, to put it simply, it is someone who is momentarily sinning. Someone who is momentarily sinning, found to be falling, sorry, found to be failing to keep God's command or stepping out of bound of God's law. Again, if we look at the context of this passage we were reading this morning, Paul uses another term to describe those who are caught in transgression. Instead of walking in step with the Spirit, they are walking in step with the flesh. The flesh. Paul writes this about this dichotomy, this this two-sided picture in the previous chapter. Chapter 5, starting verse 16. Let me read this for us. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Let's stop there for a minute. You see, a true follower of Jesus actually wants to do things according to the desire of the Spirit. We want to exhibit a life characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. If we read later in verses 22 and 23, a lot of us know this, that the fruit of the Spirit includes things like love, joy, peace, what else? Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But yet there is a force that Paul calls the flesh, which is against that desire of the Spirit. And furthermore, in uh, verse 18, it reads, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Okay, so what is the flesh? And why does it have anything to do with being under the law? You see, the, Paul wrote this letter, the whole book of Galatians, all six chapters, to call out and to rebuke those who taught that Christians must keep the Old Testament law in order to be accepted by God. That's the, that's the main point of this letter from Paul. Now, the central message of this letter is perhaps found in chapter 2, verse 16. I've highlighted the, the portion here. It says, A person is not justified, meaning it's not counted righteous, by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. 
for the purpose of getting this message across, Paul at one point uses fairly strong language, writing in the next chapter, in chapter 3. He said, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing the faith, or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? What Paul means by the flesh is the natural human sinful condition that we are all in, where we want to determine for ourselves what is good, where we want to determine for ourselves what is good. And as a result, we reject what God has declared to be good and enough for us. See, they're against each other. What we think is good, how we want to determine good, is against what God has already determined good and enough. And for the Galatians, this meant that even after seeing the Son of God with their own eyes, Jesus Christ crucified for them, they still don't think that was enough to set them free. Not only were some of them keeping the old law to earn acceptance from God, but they were telling the Gentiles, the non-Jewish Christians who are coming to faith, to also follow the same ceremonial laws. And so when Paul writes, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, he means by following the leading of God's Spirit, who now lives and directs in every believer's heart, you are free, free from being slaves to our old habits and desires. Again, for the early Christians in Galatia, this meant that they were free from following old Jewish rules to gain acceptance. But more than that, walking by the Spirit frees believers from other works of the flesh, such as those listed in chapter 5, verse 19 to 21. Oh, next slide, please. Oh. It's, uh, it reads, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Things like these. So the question for us this morning isn't so much about whether are we following Jewish laws, although there are Christian sects who are emphasizing that more so now, uh, I, I, I realized recently, but I guess for us, mostly in, at EEC, the question really is, which old ways of the flesh are tempting you to forget the grace of God? Maybe it's one of the things from the list that Paul wrote. Maybe it's something else. But which old ways of the flesh are tempting you to forget the grace of God? 
Are we allowing the love that God had overpoured into us to change us? Are we allowing that same love that poured into our lives to then pour out to other people? Now, I want to take a pause here and just talk about a, a point. Um, at this time, you know, when we talk about spirit and flesh, some of us may have this understanding about it that is maybe not so biblical. So I want to be clear about one thing. When Paul writes about the flesh being against the spirit, he's not talking about a dichotomy between our physical bodies and our spirit, which is invisible to us. Now, for one, the flesh refers to the whole body, the whole human being, I mean. That's what the flesh is. The flesh is not just a physical body. It refers to our body, mind, and spirit, our whole being. It doesn't dissect our body from our soul uh, uh, or spirit from our bodies. And second, the spirit that Paul is referring to is the spirit with a capital S, the Holy Spirit. It's not the spirit like our spirit with a little s. You know, there's a, a, if you're familiar with this word Gnosticism, uh, there's a, there are Gnostic teachings that pit our bodies against our spirit and call for people to deny their bodies in order to become more spiritual. Have you guys heard about these kinds of teachings before? They will tell you to deny your emotions because they're bad. They will say that our goal or our salvation in life is to get rid of our bodies and become purely spiritual beings. Now, this is not what Paul is calling uh, for here, and that is not the Christian belief. You see, we're, we're not rebellious to God because we have an arm. We're not rebellious to God because we have two eyes. We're not rebellious to God because we have any parts of our physical body. And we're not, we will not become uh, any, any more holy if we start, you know, chopping ourselves up. In fact, there's a Bible verse for that. We don't do that. That's not how we get holy. We're sinful because we choose to gratify our selfish desires while denying God. Whether that desire remains in thought or is acted out physically, Either way, our selfish desires detract us from having faith in God and it leads us down a path where we will seek our own benefit and oftentimes at the cost of others. So that's what's pitted against each other. Our desire to do our own ways and the desire of the Holy Spirit for us to be free. So when Paul instructs believers to restore fellow brothers and sisters who have fallen into sin, he is referring to the act of directing and pointing fellow believers back to faith, back to the faith they once had in Christ for acceptance and freedom. That's the restoration Paul is talking about. And we restore brothers and sisters by guiding them back to being in step with the Spirit so they will once again desire things of the Spirit, not of the flesh. And Paul further points out two aspects to be aware of during this restoration process. First, Paul instructs believers to restore those who are not in step with the Spirit with a spirit of gentleness. 
gentleness. Now, how are we supposed to understand gentleness here? Well, I look further in, in Scripture, and, you know, I think there's an expanded look at just, I think generally we understand what gentleness is, but what does it really look like when we um, use gentleness to restore brothers and sisters? I uh, want to refer us to 2 Timothy, it's on the screen, chapter 2, verse 24 to 25. Paul is telling Timothy this, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And then he continues, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Now, Paul is reminding his disciple, Timothy, that even when you are called to persuade others to return to the Lord, repentance comes through the grace of God. Not through your persuasion, unfortunately. And not through, um, you know, you losing temper over it. So be gentle. Be gentle. And second, we're called to be watchful. Um, now, the first part of watchfulness has already been talked about, and that's simply to be sensitive of other people falling out of their faith or other, be, other people uh, being caught in transgression. That's the first part of watchfulness. You know, are you aware that the people around you may be stepping out of bound of Christ's commandment? The second half of watchfulness is this. It's in, in the second half of verse 1. It says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. As we approach others to restore them, we need to be mindful that we, that we too can be weak. And we too can be tempted to walk in the flesh. We're not, by being spiritual, that doesn't elevate us above our brothers and sisters in terms of our ability to walk in the spirit. We all share the same spirit and are enabled by the same spirit to do that. So be watchful. So be gentle and be watchful. That's how we restore each other in the church. Next, um, we can show our love for each other by bearing one another's burdens. All right, I just use the word carry here. That, that's just another way of saying bearing. Because um, carrying is just the more common word we use nowadays. Um, better for us to understand. Now, the burdens are not just talking about the burdens as a result of sin, although that's included. But more broadly, referring to things in life that weigh us down. Let's think about for a moment, what kind of stuff is weighing you down today? That's your burden. This can, you know, refer to alleviating someone's financial burden by subsidizing their expenses or taking a day off to help someone move house or just allowing someone to cry on your shoulder. In the book of Acts chapter 11, uh, we don't need to refer to to it now, but we read that once the church of Antioch knew that there will be a famine coming across the entire land, 
Everyone at the church donated what they can according to each person's ability, and then sent relief to the churches across Judea. Now we do that too, right? As a church, that's carrying each other's burdens. Not only that, but Paul says, when we carry each other's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. Do I have that scripture? We fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? What is the law of Christ? It's on the screen. Um, When uh, a religious leader came to ask Jesus this question, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered here in uh, Mark uh, chapter 12, verse 29. The most important is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. You see, again, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to just draw this picture out for us. When we receive, okay, just imagine a waterfall of love from God pour, pouring down on us. When we receive the love from God, not only are we able to then echo that love back to God with all our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. But then we're also, like a cascading waterfall, allow that love to overflow into the people around us. God's love fall on us, then God's love overflow and and flows into other people. When Paul writes the law of Christ, it is almost as if he was telling those who were obsessed with keeping the ceremonial laws of old to instead keep the law of Christ. Don't be obsessed with the old law. Keep this law that, the, that Christ has given us. Rather than laying additional burdens on other people, telling others that they must follow certain rules in order to be a Christian, why not instead carry each other's burdens and lighten each other's shoulders. It will fulfill the law of Christ. Now I'm keeping it short today. So in conclusion, uh, we can see that these short verses summarize a great deal of what it means to love one another in the context of a church. First, loving one another in the church involves actively restoring each other from sin. Love actually does not turn a blind eye to sin, nor do we take sin lightly. However, it requires that we are to be gentle and watchful. The goal is always to point people back to Jesus. Always, always to point people back to the faith in Christ. And because only faith in Christ can make us right with God again. Only faith in Christ can bring us freedom. Second, loving one another in the church involves carrying each other's burdens in life. And at EC, we do that very well. I, I'm, I'm quite proud to say that we do that very well. We, we are a very, very tight-knit family church. Uh, we know each other's burdens very well, and we are willing to carry each other's burdens. And as a result of loving one another, the whole law of the Bible is fulfilled. It's a wonderful picture. 
By loving one another, we become a community of human race, a community of human race that God has intended us to be all along. Now, in closing, I want to just share a brief example. And then I'm going to pass the time to you guys to share with each other your examples of loving each other. Because I know we have a lot. And I think a church is able to love each other when we have stories to tell each other. I'm going to share a brief example, not mine, but my wife's, um, of how this call for Christians to love one another could look like and how it ultimately benefited me. Uh, When Alice was in college and still single, uh, she was perplexed by the issue of dating and relationships. And at that time, she was attending a small family church in a city called Alhambra. So if you are familiar with California, that's a city close to Los Angeles. She shared her questions and concerns with the pastor's wife, who, like Alice, was from Taiwan and spoke Mandarin. And so that little bit of commonality allowed Alice to feel really comfortable sharing with her. Eventually, the pastor's wife offered to do a book study, a book study with her on the topic of biblical womanhood. And as Alice recalled about this experience, we were just talking about it this past week, she told me that while the book study was helpful in identifying some of her character flaws, and she had, you know, and uh, how she could change and gave her more clarity and confidence in this whole dating matter. What truly stood out to her wasn't that. It wasn't what she learned about. But it was how she witnessed and experienced having a more mature Christian who was already in step with the Spirit, who took the time and intention to disciple her even when she didn't ask for it. Now, I'm sure in your life, in your Christian walk, there are small glimpses of this already. And I wonder if you recall who has reached out to you or even who you've reached out to in your walk with Christ. Now, for, for, for this experience, for Alice, you know, this happened many years before I even knew her. So by the, by the time I knew of her, she was already a mature, a spiritually mature woman who is ready to be in a relationship with me. So I benefited from that too. Now in this example, you could say that the work of restoration came before a person is even caught in transgression. And I believe that when we are in step with the Spirit and sensitive to His leading, we too can identify others' needs for spiritual restoration in an early stage. We don't have to wait until someone crosses the line or someone is is fallen into sin. If If we genuinely are watchful for each other's spiritual health, yeah, we would ask questions, we would talk to each other, we would spot things early, and we would step in to help and encourage us to be in step with the Spirit. And so that's what we want to do today. Um, Well, that's what I want you to do today. (laughs) It can be a little uncomfortable at first, but I'm going to give you some instructions, and hopefully this will be a a doorway, a way uh, for us to at least open, creak open the doorway for us to practice loving 
one another by sharing, listening, and praying together. Um, before we do that, let's, uh, I want us to just keep these in mind. They're not really guidelines, but just things to keep in mind as we share and listen to each other's sharing. When it's your turn to share, when it's your turn to share, be honest. Be honest. Don't try to hide or conceal, okay? Don't share for the purpose of manipulating others to sympathize or to help you. Just be honest. Second, be humble. Welcome others to encourage you. Welcome others to encourage you. And then when it's your turn to listen, be attentive. Let the person speak and express at their own pace. Don't force others to open up if they don't want to share. If their honesty requires that they be in silence, let them be in silence. Second, be humble as well. Seek to understand. Seek to understand. Don't assume. Seek to understand by asking questions. And then finally, I will say more about that, but just keep in mind for now that let's have our conversations always lead to prayer because ultimately we need to trust God to be the provider, to be the ultimate provider to help us in our needs. Not our own wit, not our own suggestions um, or, or great plans to uh, uh, either manipulate others to help you or, or, or to help others. But prayer lead us or prayer reminds us to rely on God alone for true wisdom and guidance. So I want to just uh, suggest to us these questions. If you are, um, if you don't want to dig too deep, I suggest you can focus on thinking about the first question. How have you experienced love and support of other believers in your life? especially during times of difficulty or testing. Now, for those of us who are just more comfortable, you can think about this, the second question. Have you ever been in a situation where you needed someone else to confront you about a sin or weakness in your life? How did you respond to their correction? And did you allow them to help you bear your burden? So I'm going to give us the the next... um, Five minutes, it doesn't have to be long. Um, just go in pairs so that you just have to share it with one other person. Um, and just pick a, pick a question or pick parts of this question and just uh, um, share honestly what you can this morning so that you invite the other person to, to be able to pray for you. Okay, let's go. Five minutes.
give us one more minute, just one more minute of sharing. finish sharing don't worry you can do that during refreshment time for now i just want if i can have your attention um if we're talking about restoring each other into the faith of christ then we are also talking about reminding each of us the gospel of jesus and so it is the gospel of jesus that ultimately set us free from sin in this world and set us free from all the burdens of this world so I want to introduce us to a very simple way to, to pray the gospel for each other. Um, perhaps just read, read with us. Maybe it'll help us to remember this better. Because I am in Christ, number one, there is nothing I have done that could make you love me less and nothing I could do that would make you love me more. And two, you are all I need for everlasting joy. Three, as you have been to me, so I will be to others. As you have been to me, as in, as you have loved me, I will love other people. Number four, as I pray, I'll do, to according, I'll do so according to the compassion you've shown at the cross and the power you demonstrated through the resurrection. So I'm going to give us another two minutes to just pray for each other based on what we've heard um, and based on how we can pray the gospel for each other. Help remind ourselves as well as each other the gospel of Jesus. That, that is what will ultimately restore each of us to Christ. So again, just give you two more minutes. Uh, if you have already started praying, you can continue that. Uh, if you haven't started, you have two minutes to pray for each other and then I will close.
our Father in heaven. We thank you for who you are, that you are love. We thank you that you have poured your love to us, lavish on us. God, we just ask that we will be able to have that love overflow from us and into our brothers and sisters in Christ and into the people of this church. And we just pray that we will be reminded of what you have already done on the cross, that it is good and it is enough. Whatever burden the society is laying onto us, we're going to allow the gospel Jesus to restore us. And we're not going to pass that burden on to um, other believers um, in this body of Christ. And God, fill us with everlasting joy as that is what you please. And together we pray that we will do your will according to the compassion you've already shown to us. We allow the power to be demonstrated um, through the way we carry each other's burdens and through the way we watch each other's back and restore each other back to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.